Does I've, that feel different? It feels different. I've started the recording by pressing the button on the remote. Mm-hmm. I've been given a gift. You have. By Dr. Spiegel. Indeed. In honor of my uh, the date of my birth, and what I received was a, uh, a Zoom remote that uh, turns on the uh, recorder. Yeah. From afar. Or a near. Or but... a near, but without actually pressing <laughs> a button on the recorder. It's super cool. That's right. You can... See, it's designed so that you can kick back in your chair like you like to. Yeah, I do and like still be able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like to do that. Yeah, I do so. like to do that. Um, I can I can turn this thing on from like three feet away, four feet away. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. Hey, Paul. How's hey, it going? good. What's going on, Sherry? Yeah. Do we still? It's like, do we still record podcasts? Do we still do it's, this kind it, of thing? So, what has it been? Like two weeks since yeah. we did like a yeah, a we did a proper. Little, yeah, well, we did a, a, a half proper Semi-proper. about two weeks ago. Yeah, we did a little twenty minute thing about two weeks ago. Yeah, just as an update for episode one hundred and nine about what's been a cooking. A cooking. Uh, because we had realized that it had been a bit. It had been a bit. Since, <laughs> It, we realized it was a while since we recorded and pushed something, so we took a few minutes to record and push something, and now it's been a while since we've done that, so we should record We should do one. it again. Since there's nine shoulds in, in one sentence. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's fun. I kind of feel like this one could be punchy. I feel like I just want to warn the listeners of that. Like, it's been a couple weeks. Yeah, it's been We're a, in been a bit. end of the semester and end of the year punchiness, and yeah, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, we've got a nice rainy day, so there's nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. You know, emails or inboxes are at zero. Yes. So it's uh, let's see what we got here. Yeah, and you're you're occupied, which is half of what happens to my inbox is really just yeah. emails from you. Yeah, yeah. So you could make a separate folder or something just yeah. to take those. I could do. I could do that. I could set up like an auto, like oh, Paul Fitzgerald, put it in this. Mark is red. Archive. Yeah. Well, because most of the time I'm sitting talking to you while you're writing the email. Mark as away. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, that's fun. It is fun. So, what are we doing today? We are doing what we said we were going to do last month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Which is, uh, we are going to go through the mindfulness at work book, chapter by chapter. So, the original one, I guess that was episode one hundred and eight. Mm-hmm. I think on there we talked about. I think that whole episode was us talking through. Um, us doing exactly this, right? And, and the mindfulness fact that we at were, work, and mm-hmm. why we're doing it, and the context in which we're doing it. Um, we're the book group that we're hosting here on the campus on Zoom is still meeting every week, mm-hmm. and we are. Was it chapter five? Is this? Yeah, chapter. I think so. <laughs> chapter five is this week, so we thought we would record our reflections on chapter one because that's where we are with a with a pod version of it. So, um, as we continue on for the next uh, couple of weeks with the book group itself, you know, we'll be recording these sequentially and sort of sending them out. So, yeah. if anybody wants to play along and participate in the book group and uh, like get the book, read the chapter, and hear some uh, color commentary (laughs) (laughs) from Paul and Jerry, right, on what we thought of the chapter and what stuck out to us and our experiences. That certainly is something somebody could do. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to do this right now. Of course, all of our episodes are available for download and listen at any time. So you can always just sort of uh, go back to these if you ever if you ever kind of need to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I really do recommend getting a hold of the book itself, uh, especially if you're listening through our episodes on it. Um, you know, all our thanks go to Maria Arpa, who yep. wrote the book, Mindfulness at Work. Um, I think it, 
it really, I think I said this in the last episode where we really talked through this, like this book, I think really set me on a journey to change my life at work. Um, and so like props to the author, right? Like go buy her book. Yeah, totally. Um, because, uh, I think it's a really personal journey. So even though we will talk about what it's meant for us, ultimately, I think, um, people are going to find the most worth by doing the work themselves. Absolutely. Like with a book. Because I mean, when we, when we read the book and, and chat through it, um, you and I, we can only sort of talk about our own experience mm-hmm. and the context of it. And even when we do the book group, um, like we, we, like we're meeting weekly on zoom with some folks here that we work with and, um, they're all over the place. Some of them are in the admin building, some are on the campus sometimes right. maybe. Um, even that is like, it, it's broader than our experience, but it really just sort of, uh, the experience of our workplace. So yeah. it's, everybody's sort of going to have their own separate things that jump out and speak to them as they go through the, go through the chapter. So I would certainly encourage as you would anyone to grab this book. It's an easy read. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Maria Arpa's awesome. You know, uh, she gives a little shout out yeah. uh, a little while ago on LinkedIn. On the LinkedIn, yeah. yeah. And we were super thankful for that. And mm-hmm. uh, so, um, yeah, chapter yeah. one. What's the title of this one? I was going to ask you that. Uh, it is Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. Smell the Coffee. Uh, which is great because I think we we spend a lot of time talking about the importance of a nice warm beverage. We do. Um, and, you know, we are known more for our tea than our coffee in this space. True. It's true. But, you know, she ends this chapter by talking about how she titled this chapter uh, Wake Up and and Smell the Coffee because, um, you know, ultimately the chapter is all about, like, noticing what's happening and then doing something about it. And it's funny because I've never really thought of Wake Up and Smell the Coffee as a notice and move to action sort of call, a call to yeah call yeah. to talk call the action call uh-huh. to arms right of, yeah. yeah but that's really what it is right so yeah it really is yeah so the first part seems to be about waking up a little bit it does mm-hmm. right and i think um the introduction if i remember correctly was just kind of like about okay so you, it turns out you're reading this book for a reason probably mm-hmm. you know so it's like something called to you and you, you put this up off the shelf and uh, maybe when we think about our work life, there might be things that we see in it where having a more mindful approach might be a valuable thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've talked about this before. One of the things I love about this book, it, it's chock full of exercises and ideas and thoughts about like the hard stuff, which is like, so how do you actually do it? Mm-hmm. It's like, what is like a programmatic approach to actually changing how and it's not like changing your workplace. It's like changing your relationship to your workplace. Because as we say all the time, um, it's it's up to the individual to take ownership over their own experience that they're having. Right. Nobody's going to change it for you. Right. You know, it means your your boss is not going to walk into your into your office or whatever and say, just so you know, we're all mindful now. <laughs> so get on board, right? It doesn't really sort of work that way. No. So uh, the work to be done is the work that happens inside the skin. And uh, between the ears a little bit with um, attitude and perspective and uh, just like mindset mm-hmm. on, on how we want this whole work thing to go. And some of the challenges might be that when you really do stop and smell the coffee and you look around at not just your workplace, but what's happening around you and what you bring to the office mm-hmm. sometimes and um, the experience that you're having in the office, maybe it's not always the way that you want it to go right kind of you know maybe you're noticing some things 
that call for uh, some investigation on mm -hmm. whether or not they really are the way that you want things to go. Right. Would you say yeah. something about that? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because part of this noticing is identifying the fact that things might not be going the way you wish they were. But it's also understanding that you can you actually have some agency within that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it, it, she, she kind of frames things as like either change yourself yeah. or change jobs, right? Like right. it's... Um, Those are sort of your options. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think, you know, some of this early chapter really hits home for me um, because some of it is really about questioning things that we believe, things that we've come to understand or expect about the workplace. And so I think I think sometimes people grow a tolerance for the the uncomfortable things in their workplace because they think, well, it's work. Yeah, work is right. work isn't supposed to be fun, or they'd call it fun instead of work, right? It's work. Um so I think one of the things that the start of this book does is challenges the idea that work has to be terrible, right? That work has to be a grind. Um, mm. And, you know, I think early on she talks about the fact of finding joy and you can find joy in the workplace. It's possible, um, but it does require opening your eyes quite a bit. It requires noticing what's happening and understanding your own storytelling and agency within it. Yeah, right, Yeah, right, right, right. Um, in many ways, if we are unhappy at work, like you said, it is absolutely meeting our expectations for it. Yeah. And therefore, there's no suffering. There's no resistance. Like, well, it sucks, and I know it sucks, and it's forced to – so it's like, it's fine. Yeah. You know, it's work. What are you going to do? So um, I love the way that you just phrased all of that. Um, yeah. Does it have to be that way? I don't think so. Does I mean, it it's not for that me way? anymore. You know, um, it's not for me anymore either. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I still – whenever I sort of think about – how I engage with the workplace or I will just freely say try to or attempt mm -hmm. to or intention intend to engage with the workplace. I still sort of feel like I'm doing something uh I don't know, sort of secret devious. <laughs> we we say that we cheat all the time. Yeah. Because it's like this email is hard to write. Jerry, will you write this email for me? And you're like, sure. And of course I return the favor on that. Right. You know, but it's like how much easier is is clearing your inbox if you have a partner well, to write the hard ones for you. And it's like, well, that's done. Perfect. I <laughs> well, I can tell you that it's quite a bit. Awesome. Easy. I mean, you know, we literally like I got to I don't know if you did, but I got to inbox zero before we hopped yeah, onto this call. Yeah, right. In both my personal and my professional email accounts. And I mean, what you're saying is true. Like I, I hate managing my inbox. Yeah. Um, and my inbox had started to feel like it had been unwieldy in part because you and I hadn't had a proper email sesh in a while. Yeah, right. Um, quite a while. Quite a quite while. while. And so one of the things that I think we can do, like when we bounce back, that's why like half my emails a day ha come from you. Because right. it's you or me taking care of responding to various bits of correspondence. Which not everybody has like, you know, a work partner like we do. They could. They could. They <laughs> I recommend could. it. I recommend it. Yeah. Um, but I think... I think being able to tag team back and forth to make the the work that feels onerous less daunting is really important. Yeah, so, totally. you know, like a big part of changing the workplace for me has been about finding um, somebody to walk the 
yeah. you know, the journey with. Right. I mean, it's kind of like... Walk the outlook with. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah walk exactly. The ser- walk the server with. You know. It's like, it's a normal thing to have, like, p- for people to think, oh, yeah, I should seek out a life partner. Right. Um, right. And it's like, I really advocate for finding a work partner. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We've suggested that to people before we as well, yeah. you know, at, at various levels of um, the hierarchy here, I should say, the org chart, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I don't know. Buddy up with somebody, you know. It's yeah. like you'd be amazed at how um, how much more space that brings to everything both of you do. Yeah, you know, yeah. just knowing there's somebody else that's just going to give you the straight dope, who's gonna, you know, who's on your team, who's going to be able to, you know, help you out with the hard ones, or at least sit next to you while you write the hard ones, mm-hmm. and just sort of, yeah, that sucks. You know, who likes to write that? Nobody. Right. We can and work yeah, together. On, yeah, yeah, and that's what we're doing. So, yeah. um, and just to be clear, some of our emails are joyful to write. Oh, absolutely, they're not all right. You know. They're not all terrible, yeah, but totally. in general, I hate email as a form of correspondence. Yeah, I do too. You know, but um, at any given time, with the emails that come to both of us that we're responding to, you know, one of us is either more willing, able, ready, comfortable with responding to them as they come in, whatever, yeah. just because a natural inclination, natural you know, preference in terms of the kind of things we're responding to. You know, it's just it, like, oh, I'll get this one. And it's like, ooh, yeah. do you want to get that one? Because I'm having a, it, a, a a time with it or something. It's also kind of like the ebb and flow of energy, right? Like, yeah. I think one of the things that makes managing email hard sometimes is like, for some reason, like my energy will start to dip or I'll feel a little distracted. And so getting in and being able to focus becomes hard. And so then if I can just be like, oh, do you have it in you to do this one? Cool. I'm going to sit and stare at the wall while you do yeah, that. Right. Right. It allows like, because otherwise that resistance that I face will get me off track. So yeah, I think part right. of what we do is keep, we keep each other on track. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. And it's like, we're not, um, ten, I mean, we're not sidestepping resistance. We're not like bypassing resistance. Right. We are finding a way to get what needs to happen done in a way that reduces the amount of resistance that's going to be felt or shared. Yeah. You know, hey, let's split the resistance up and we're just going to feel half of it. And that's going to be better than one of us feeling (laughs) all of it, you know. So it's like it it, it might actually overall like dampen the whole resistance thing though. Just because it's like because the resistance always just comes from within. I, well, you know, she talks about this in this chapter. She does. You know, about, yeah. you know, so what's the hard part about change at work? It's like, well, there's resistance to it. Yeah. What's uh, the nature of that? Right. Well, and that's the thing is, I, I don't think we're avoiding resistance. I think we're, we're actually getting quite intimate with it. Like, mm-hmm. we know where resistance shows up for us, and it happens to show up in similar ways. So we, we're able to manage the resistance together. Instead of just yeah. avoiding resistance. Yeah, and to, understand, and to understand where that resistance comes from, you know, that really just is a, just a, a know thyself yeah. exercise. You know, it's like, because, you know, the most important things to me, no surprise to anyone at this point, I think, is peace and harmony. Maybe mm-hmm. the, I mean, that's one of the things we got out of the Grok cards. Yeah. Um, it's like, at, at nothing else, it's like, as, as when something takes me away from what I perceive as being idealized peace and harmony that is proportional to the amount of resistance that I feel with something, it's like, you know, this sending this email is really going to significantly hamper peace and resistance for the time being anyway. I don't want to send this, you know, because mm-hmm. it's either representing the lack of peace and harmony or it's going to result in peace of harmony not being 
whatever. I mean, some of the most challenging conversations I've ever had on email or, you know, on the phone are like, yeah, we can't fund you anymore. So, you know, sorry. Good luck with that. Good luck yeah. with that. Yeah. And it's like, ugh. God, and it's it's like it, it, I can give people bad news or or difficult news or whatever you want to do, but it's when it when it hits up against um, peace and harmony of like a cohesive group or something we're trying to do or initiative. It's like, Ugh. yeah, just don't like it, don't like it at all, mm-hmm. don't like it at all. Yeah, but I mean, part of that awareness of where you'll where you'll sort of hit your resistance, um, knowing that you like peace and harmony. And that you're driven by it. Like when you see something and you're like, ooh, this doesn't feel good. Well, what's happening in there? It, right. I think it's good to be able to check in and say, well, what's what's the source of the resistance here? Yeah. yeah. Right. right, right, right. So I'm noticing that in front of both of us, we have uh, the chapter that we're talking about. And what I'm mm-hmm. also noticing is that we have both highlighted it. Yeah, we highlighted a little high, highlight, highlight. We've had this conversation before. Highlighted things. Things have been struck with a highlighter. Struck. (laughs) Um, Violently accosted with a highlighter. But I noticed two things with that. One. Mine is sparkly and purple. Yours is sparkly and purple (laughs) because I assigned that (laughs) highlighter to you. Um, But I I also, I enjoy a man that will highlight his work. So that's great. Um, But also we have highlighted different things. I noticed Uh, that too. When I was looking at yours, it's like you highlighted different stuff. You trying to cheat off my work? Yes. yes. Um, So I'm kind of curious if there's anything in your highlighting that you'd like to draw some attention to. I didn't even make it past the italicized text on the very top of the page before I started with the highlighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so I, I, I just love this question that she, it's like one of the first questions I ask is this, she says, and it's like, I think it actually is the first question she asks. Mm-hmm. Are you here because you want to find peace with yourself to continue doing the same thing? Or are you here to do something different and make change? Because that's ultimately, and you said this a little while ago, that's what it sort of comes down to. Mm-hmm. If you're not happy at work, you have two options. Do you want to make peace with the way that it is? Yep. Or do you want to change the way that it is? Yeah. Yeah, and those are the options. And those are the options, right? Or is it is it work to be done inside of you, or is it work to be done sort of outside of you with change of environment right. or, or whatever it might be? Um, do I want to, you know, if, if I'm feeling like there, there's not really much I can do to make change, how do I reconcile this and make peace with it mm-hmm. versus is it always coming really from inside the house? And if I really just, you know, see what it is that I really want to do something about here. Can I make some serious change in what's going on? Yeah. You know, so I really love this question. Yeah. You know, do we want to continue or do we want to try something? Try something something else. Yeah. And it's interesting because, um, so I've been in my position for about 15 years now. And for 14 of those years, I would regularly read job ads. Hmm. Like, um, and I did my PhD while I was in this position and the whole time, like I was working on my PhD, my assumption was always that I would get my PhD and go somewhere else. Mm. Um, I would have conversations with people in the field that would always be, well, what's next for you? Right. Um, and what's happened for me in... Yeah. I don't like that question. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> What's not, wrong with this? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so that I mean there's so many interesting assumptions in that. Um but in the last year I have noticed uh that at some point um I stopped looking. Um and every now and then somebody will send me a job ad, including one of my dearest friends uh sent me one. Um and it was very interesting to notice that like 
I'm not looking, right? Like, right. Um, because at some point I realized um, I'm not here because this is the job I have. Um, I'm not here because this is the only job that will have me. I'm here because this is the work I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm exactly where I want to be and I'm doing exactly the work that I want to be doing. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Right. Um, right. So I'm there now. And sometimes it feels like it's hard to have a conversation with people who are unhappy in their workplace because I'm in this really privileged place. But I also think I've worked really hard at changing my relationship um, to the work I do so that I could find that oh, joy. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, totally. And, you know, when when you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, you've actually done a lot of work to get mm-hmm. there, though. Mm-hmm. So um, props to that. And so have I, I yeah. think. You know, I would, I would say the same thing. Um, but I mean the, 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 Ooh, cool. What are you going to do next? So what's next kind of thing? It's like, I think we, we all hear that so often, Yeah. you know, and in, and I don't know if this is unique to academia and academic circles, but it's like, there's always some next thing, right? you know, another degree, another place you're going to transfer to another, another rung on the professorial track, another, if you're really good at, you know, the Peter principle in full effect, you know, mm-hmm. if you're really good at being a faculty, maybe you can be an admin, you know, um, Peter principle will be addressed in a different episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look it up. Um, <laughs> and, um, so it's like, there's always this, Oh, you did this thing. That's great. So what's next? It's like, yeah, you get about five minutes of fame until there's another expectation of what is this next cool thing you're going to do. And I think that that is something that is really part of academia, though, is that expectation that there's another another publication to get out. There's another advanced thing you're going to do. There's another training. There's another degree. There's another rung. Right. You know, there's another contract, you know, for multi-year, yeah. whatever. There's always a sort of this next thing um, that is representative of even more success than you had before. Yeah. You know, so it's it's like... The, the the nature of academics and why it's such a grind, I think, for a lot of people, just kind of the academic lifestyle, is that it is it is there's always another level there. It, mm-hmm. It's always, uh, I mean, it's 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 worse than Donkey Kong, you know. It's like <laughs> there's always another thing where you could even do even more, and now you could do this, and this could really dovetail into that, and ooh, let's we can do this other thing as a result of that, and ooh, let's just you know, and it's right. like just stop, you know, just stop. Yeah, and it's like. Just do your thing. Right. Yeah. Like, why, why does it always have to be this advancement-focused thing? Yeah. What's enough, right? Yeah. What's an, yeah, yeah. And, and, what, and she talks about this, too. It's like what that, prov- that, what that provides is that there is never anything that's actually enough. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the goal of my life is to be emeritus faculty, that means, like, ultimately the best they can do is be so good that I can quit and still get an office and an email address. It's like, yeah. Yes. You know, <laughs> even, you know, I'm so, so good that even when I retire, I'm, I'm still part, I'm still part of it in some way. And I have this magical emeritus status where I'm given all of these cool things with none of the, none yeah. of the teaching load, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I have questions about this yeah, so model. Many I have questions about this model. I mean, well, it's it's the same thing as like working for the weekend. Like, are we yeah, working right. for retirement? Because that's what that that really is. Right. right, right. It's interesting because her second question. So the question you highlighted, right, is about like finding peace with yourself so you can continue on your current path or that strength to yeah, make a change. Right. Right. So the second question she asked, which is immediately like after that, which is why I one reason I know I love her like from the very mm-hmm. beginning of the book is she asks a lot of questions. 
And as we know, questions are my love language. Um, But she asked, do you want to stay put and find joy in the status quo or move on and find a different source of joy? And what I love about that is that that question is not framing more, better, additional Right. It's right. Like, right, right, right. Can, like that question is, can you find joy in what is your status quo? Um, and so I think there's a way in which she's modeling the value of maintenance, right? Like find a job, find your place within your job and find a way to really j- joyfully thrive within it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always about climbing the ladder. Right. Right. Like get to a rung that works for you. Yeah. It's like, what is, what is, what is your relationship with your job if you are not trying to change it or improve upon it? Yeah. If it's like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Settle into it. Would that change anything? I mean, would that, what would that do to like happiness, satisfaction? You know, yeah. it, it, it just like, and it's like you're actually doing the exact same thing you did yesterday, but you said, you know what? I'm actually not going to try to change anything, any part of this job. I'm just going to show up and I'm going to, you know, do it the best I can. Yeah. And then I'm going to go home and eat some dinner and watch some Netflix and, you know, or whatever one does when one goes home. Right. It's like, how, how would your life be if you stopped trying to change it all the time? Yeah. You know, is, is the current job miserable because you keep looking over the fence to look at the neighbor's job? Yeah. Well, and... I think for so much of my life, I was miserable because I, I had the idea that I will be happy when, instead of I will be happy, period, full stop. Right. Right. And now I think I live a life where when I get up in the morning, like my goal is to have a good day, like a joyful existence. Um, It is not some measurement of achievement and success. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of my life, I have been so hungry for something that proves my value, right? Mm-hmm. So, and this is, you know, you you talk about like peace and harmony matter to you. I want to feel like my life has purpose yeah. and that it has meaning. Right. Um, right. But realizing that it can do that without, without collecting a lot of trophies. Mm. And I think I spent a lot mm-hmm. of my life just trying to collect all the trophies. And no matter how many trophies I got, I still was miserable. Yeah. And is it that I hadn't gotten the right trophy or is it just that trophies aren't actually what's going to change yeah, it? Yeah, right? yeah, it's a curious question. You know, is, is that really the trophy you wanted or is the trophy not nearly as satisfying as you thought? Right. Well, so mean, it's like, when, so when you get the trophy and you get the, the accolade or whatever it is, what happens? You go home, eat some dinner. Yeah. You go to bed, you wake up, you come back and... I mean, that's the trophy just. Now what? It gathers dust, yeah. right? It loses significance. Like, yeah. when's the last time you showed off your bowling trophy? Uh, when is the last time I showed that? Dear listener, off? Paul has a bowling trophy. Yeah, I do. First place. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be fully honest and transparent, it was a team, team sport. It wasn't an individual trophy, but I, I was a first place team. This was church league bowling back in the 90s. Ah. Uh, this was a long time ago. Uh, however, my high game was like a 233, something like that, which is ironic because that's like my office number. Oh, it's strange. Yeah. It's interesting how that came back. Isn't that weird? You just looked that up earlier today. Your I did. It's number. like wow, yeah. I should have just remembered. It's it's my t- top bowling score. That's perfect. Um, it, but it's like it it it. I, 
<laughs> it's like it's it's very meaningful to me. And when I got rid of a lot of stuff, I kept it. Now I'm trying to think where where it is. Hmm. It's like, what did I do with it? It's like, is, is it in the box or did I actually put it out somewhere? I'm not even sure. Yeah. You know, it's certainly not one of the top ten most valuable possessions in my in my house. Yeah. I would say, you know, because we did had this conversation. One, I think it recorded it. You yeah. Know, this back in the day, you know, it's like if if your house was on fire, what are the things you would run in and grab or something like that, or what would you grab on the way out? Yeah. You know, it was about the uh, what are the truly meaningful you know spiritual mm-hmm. powerful items you know that, that I have we more have. things on my list now than I used to but yeah 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 um but it's like I don't think the bowling trophy is one of them so I mean when I look, look around it's like the the stuff that I received for accolade it's like the certificates I got that said I did a good job on something it's like I think they're in a manila envelope on my bookshelf somewhere just kind of like shoved it you know I don't know yeah um because they don't they they represent a moment in time where something went the way that I did the thing and somebody else appreciated it for whatever reason that might be. And then I went home and I ate some dinner and I watched some TV and I went to bed and I woke up the next day and okay. So now what? Right. I mean, and that's how it felt, you know, it's like, yeah, that's how it felt like getting the doctorate too. Right. It's like like loving my job or not loving my job changes nothing, you know, with mm -hmm. regard to that certificate and whether or not I got it. I don't love my job now because I got that thing. Right. It's the same damn job. Yeah. Yeah. How was your doctorate experience with that? Well, it's just saying? like you, there's all this build up to do the defense, and then you do the defense, and at the end they're like, you passed, and then you hug people, and then you get up the next day and you're the exact same person, but now they call you doctor. Yeah. Um, and so I when, had the extra step of having to go over and pay a library fine before they would give me my actual doctorate. Well, yeah. There's also the having to like get the thing edited and printed and get that I'd, box over I'd to clear the library. T- I had to clear the tab with the bursar's office before I was able to actually. Yeah. There's a lot of paperwork afterwards. A little. Yeah. But then even after, like, you know, I put on my fancy robes and I walk. Um, and then I think, oh, after that, that's when it's going to. And the next day you get up and you're still you. Still you. Yeah. Well, and this is the time you got to really be thinking about some of this, too, because so many of our. Uh, students and former students they're just about you know graduated finished Mm -hmm. an associate degree a lot of the ones that we've had in the past are finishing their bachelor's degrees here it is in may late april early may you know so there's this sort of collect may april and may is this sort of collective for a lot of people all right check now what now what yeah yeah now what yeah well and that's always it is the question um around this time is like it people get really asked like well what's next for you where where are you going after nova right like we're getting the what are you going to do this summer are you going to teach over this summer are you gonna you know i know i've been asked that question so many times um and it's weird because i don't ask that question of other people yeah i don't either right um but that it's a it's a weird ponderance um But it, it's interesting because I'm not going to teach this summer, right? But I'm not taking the summer off because I'm fleeing my job. Right. Um, you know, and somebody else that recently had asked us if we were going to teach over the summer then followed it up with, oh, I get it. You have to spend that whole summer, like, yeah, retooling right. your materials so that you can jump back in the classroom. And I'm like, no, that's no. not it either. Um, I'm going to check out mentally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to stare at a wall for a while. Yeah. But... See some nature, you know. But I think it's the it's the experiences that I have outside of my work that often fuel my work, right? Um, so I don't know. It's 
That's where I get all my great stories from that I yeah. use in the classroom is because I, I, I can only have those because I, you know, I don't come into my classroom and tell them all the cool stuff I saw at the museum. You know, <laughs> right, it's like, right. it's like, you would believe what happened to me when I was in God knows where I was, you know, yeah. checked out, you know, doing this. you wouldn't believe what happened to me at the beach. Right. You know, because the last time I checked out, you know, um, was spring break and we were in South Carolina on the beach and there was like this big jellyfish mm-hmm. wash up on the beach. And it's like, what? And I took a bunch of pictures. I took some video, all that. And it's like, I ended up with this awesome thing that I can use in my classrooms that was just this unexpected random thing that happened while I was checked out at the beach. And yeah. it's like, what? Yeah. It's so awesome. Well, Not as then- awesome for the jellyfish, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind awesome, of a bad awesome, day. Yeah, kind of a bad day, but awesome for the educational experience my students were going to have. Right. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, for me, because I, you know, I teach reading and writing for a living. Mm. Um, if I'm not actively doing my own reading and writing, um, then what I'm doing in the classroom, you know, it, you almost feel like a hypocrite if you're trying yeah, to right. talk to people about the writing right. process and you're not suffering through your own writing process. Um, and so I really think of summer a lot of times as space to read and write, um, and to get back into my own practice. Um, and so if I'm, if I stay in the classroom, then I stay focused on my students practice. And so I think the, the summer months are, are really valuable for me to remember what it's like to struggle in the writing process. And not all of it's always a struggle. Um, that's why I write with you. It's a lot easier. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you used to, that's, that's even changed though a little bit. I mean, cause you're, you used to say that, you know, you, you didn't like the empty page. Yeah. It's like once that, once there were a couple of words on there, you could just sort of, you know, riff on it and you could go. But I've, I've not seen that with you recently though. You seem to be a lot more comfortable with an empty page. It's true. And you know, I even changed my, um, my Instagram handle. Yeah. Right. It used to be writer's block and now mm-hmm. it's contemplative composer. And one of the things that I think has changed is that I'm less of a perfectionist with writing. Mm. So I write, um, I, you know, I started writing in those fancy notebooks. Mm. And I think it changed, like, my tendency for perfection. The Loish term. Yes, yeah. I didn't say the term because I was like, I don't think <laughs> I'll say that right. Um, yeah, so. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um so another thing um, that she mentions uh, as she's talking about resistance, which we've talked quite a bit about already, um, is she she says this thing about, you know, the importance of overcoming resistance. And then she says um, that in part of com- overcoming resistance is experimentation, like we have to experiment. Um, and this reminds me of a part of our conversation earlier. Like for us, we experimented with helping each other out on email and we right. found out that it worked. Um, and so one thing that, you know, comes to my mind with, you know, folks who are listening, like they might not have that partner. They might also not have email as being the thing that gets yeah, in their totally. way. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, totally. But I love, and this comes up later in her book, I love this idea that part of overcoming resistance is an opportunity to experiment because I love a human experiment. Like, I like to see, like, what works, what doesn't, why. Um, and so part of, I think, getting more comfortable in the workplace for me has been about really playing these experiments with, like, what brings me joy in my job? What do I hate? And how do I, 
how do I experiment with making things that I hate more enjoyable? Yeah, yeah. right. And, you know, this isn't to say that there are, of course, not going to be parts of everyone's job that they don't like to do. Right. You know, I, I mean, what, what is not helpful for us is that we both don't like paperwork, I think. Mm-hmm. So, that is so true. <laughs> just like the, you know, administrative kind of whatever. And it's like, yeah, I don't think either one of us are a fan there. Yeah, no. So it's like, hey, Paul, I really am feeling some resistance about doing this paperwork. Can you help me out with it? I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your own, sister. Um, so, of course, I would never do that. We're just going to suffer together when, mm-hmm. when, we, when we have those times. But... Um, we did that earlier today, I feel like. We ordered business cards together. Yeah, we did. And, and I've wanted like, to do that for a little while, but um, ugh, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of form. Yeah, and it's like you have to, have to send an email and ask somebody for a budget code, and it's like it showed up within five minutes. But it's like, yeah, but I, I you yeah, know, it just, yeah. I just have this weird queasiness about just filling out forms and mm-hmm. doing that kind of thing. And it's like, it's all great. So it was like, I don't know what happened, you know, when I was a kid that made me hate paperwork and forms so much, you know, it's like, I, I'm trying to think of a traumatic experience I might have had. I don't think there is one. I think they just don't like doing forms. Yeah. You know, they, they feel like the imposition of, I know exactly what it is. It feels like the imposition of formal, a formal structure on, uh, it impinges on my lifestyle choices mm-hmm. because it feels so much like formality and properness and... You know, it, it doesn't matter how cool you want to be. It doesn't matter how revolutionary you want to be. It doesn't matter how mindful and happy you want to be at work and how much you want to throw a wrench in the corporate machine of, of you know, org charts and begrudgery and how revolutionary you're thinking you want to be. At the end of the come day, if you want to get your updated business cards, you go on the internet and you fill mm-hmm. out this form and you get the budget code and that's the way it is. And if you want to get the business card, that's you what you do. Yeah. And if you... Don't do it. You're not going to get the business. So it's like, okay. So it, it, and that's where it's like, I'm not going to try to totally revolutionize the way the business cards are ordered here at Nova. And nor am I going to expect them to show up without me doing something. So in this case, you know what? I'm just going to reconcile the fact that this is the way that it is. Um, I'm going to settle into this aspect of my work life where once every year or two, I need to order business cards. And I'm going to just come to terms with that and it's going to be fine. So it's like, I'm not going to try to change that about the system, about how business cards are. And a big part of that is like, well, I don't do it eight hours a day for five days a week. I do it for five minutes once every year and a half. Yeah. At most. So (laughs) it's, it's like, okay. Yeah. I can I can live with that if you know it's like on on the on the side of this it's like well the paycheck keeps clear in the bank mm-hmm. you know it's like okay I think for I a can, while I'll fill I'll fill out your form I won't like it but I'll fill out your stupid form yeah well and <clears throat> for a little while I think I only ordered business cards when I got promoted and so then when I top out at full professor it's like well what now Why when now? do I order yeah. them now um but part of like the okay we'll do the thing that we have to do to get the business cards and we're not going to buck the system it reminds me a little bit of what she uh maria arpa talks about in this chapter about breaking rules and Mm -hmm. the purpose of rules um because there are some rules that we have in place within working systems that i think get in the way of people connecting and doing good you know yeah yeah totally um and so when those rules, when we come up against those rules, those are the ones to, to, to work on and to, to actually make our work. But the rule that you have to fill out a form to get a business card, yeah, we can live with that. Yeah. 
right? Like that's that just, probably contributes to that's someone's fine. harmony, yeah, it's not fine. ours, but we can we can be with it. Well, well, one of those kind of things, it ultimately just comes down to, do you want the business cards or not? Yes. It's like, I do. Like, I okay, do. I'll fill that form out. But um, she gets into what you were just talking about there. Um, in the discontentment at work section mm-hmm. of this, right? This is very. I highlight more in the italicized parts on the top than anywhere in the text. Um, it's because you're a scientist and you're used to reading the abstracts. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess you know. And it's a statement about what perpetuates discontentment at work. Yeah, you know, it's like when what does perpetuate a f- sense of unsatisfactoriness mm-hmm. in the workplace? It's like what are the real qualities of the workplace that oftentimes are perpetuated in the workplace or part of workplace culture or part of Western culture or something like that that really are the basis of us not being so happy with the way things go. Mm-hmm. Uh, competition, rivalry, expectations, and rules. Don't generate happiness, self-confidence, or healthy relationships. And yeah. I've known this for a fact that faculty or many faculty, not just at NOVA but all over the place, are the most miserable um, and unsatisfied when they feel like they're competing for scarce resources. And we talk about this all the time. All the time, yeah. All the time. Yeah. Right? This feeling that, you know, there's only so much to go around, and so it's going to be sort of, all right, faculty, do your best and grind and hustle. And, you know, if you do a really good job of going the extra mile and taking the extra step or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that you'll get some of these extremely scarce resources. Right. Which are come in the form of things like a window, Mm-hmm. An office with a window. <laughs> Square footage is oftentimes the currency of of uh, of of any institution. It's like how big yeah. your office is. Does it have windows? Mm-hmm. You know, how many letters do you have behind your? T- you know, right. all this stuff are the you know essentially the the prison cigarettes mm-hmm. of of the workplace. Not just in academia, everywhere. Oh, yeah. You know, but it's yeah. like competing for scarce resources. It's like. And it's like the things that are behind that, though. It's like how often do we hear about, you know, how tight the budget is? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this constant reminder that, oh, budget's kind of tight. Um, so we have to blah, blah, blah. But we're still going to offer these opportunities for these grants and things mm-hmm. like that. So submissions are due kind of whatever. But we have really tight budget. This, You know, so it's like it's. Right. So that image of that scarcity puts people in competition with each other. Yeah, right. And. Right. You know, one of the things that she talks about in this chapter is really sort of doing this audit of where some of our beliefs about um, the workplace come from. And she really frames the fact that a lot of it starts with our schooling, yeah, right? right. And I think we're, we're taught, we're put in competition with each other so young, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think about my own struggles with, like, finding a sense of worth um, early on in my schooling, like... Um, with things like, and I know this is going to be a, a pain point for Paul, um, things like spelling bees, right? Like uh, you want to be I don't the... know. I'm still, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I know. See, that's, I was like, oh crap. But like, I, I never was going to even be a contender in a spelling bee, right? Like, um, this, that is not my skill set. Right. Um, but you know, you're literally like put up against each other and like in public on stage with a microphone. Yeah. And trying to be the last one standing. And we, we model that in school and then it gets turned over. And so, you know, that's what it becomes when you are putting forward an initiative that you want to take place 
uh, at the institution you work for, um, and there's only going to be a few people who are selected for it, you know, it does feel like you're winning a competition, yeah. like you're winning the spelling bee. And sometimes they call us winners. Yeah, that has happened. That has happened. That has right. happened, right? <laughs> um, and so the problem with that is that, you know, it's not, um, you know, this year for the uh, resources we have available, we want to focus in this direction. It's no, there are winners and there are losers. Right. Right. And right. so one of the things that's really important for me, I think, in being able to really thrive in the workplace is to turn off that competition instinct. Yeah. And it is instinctual and it um, it's something I have to keep an eye on because like I lost so many spelling bees, right, that I became fiercely competitive. Um, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the top. My middle name literally means the best in French. Nice. Right? So competition has always been natural in me. Um, but when I'm in that mode, I don't like who I am and I don't like the context I'm in. Right. 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 So there's got to be another way. So what's the alternative to competition though? For the record, I won that spelling bee. I was waiting All for right. when you were going to come. I won that spelling bee. Well... This is why you never do a rematch. Yeah, I know. It's like never do a rematch. It's like, uh, have we talked about that on the? We have. There, there is a, there is an there elder pod that has several episodes where we talk about this. Yeah, I think there's even an episode of situation. Faith Made Welcome that talks. Yeah, about Yeah, I that. think there is. I think there is. Yeah. Um, for the record, though, I won that spelling bee. Um, I, I don't feel like I walk around my, my workplace with a sword. I feel like I walk around with a shield. You mm. know, it's like it's, it's, it's not trying to a- attack and be on the offensive with trying to get resources. It's, I'm trying to do my thing and I'm trying to defend myself from, um, so what are you doing this summer? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, ooh, you should apply for this grant. Or, hey, have you thought about doing this thing? Or maybe you should be, you, maybe you should apply to be the dean of the whatevers. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should, you know, all this stuff that feels like competition, that feels like competitive stuff, that um, only really has the effect of distracting me from what I'm actually trying to do. Yeah. And those distractions that, that, that sort of pull me away from the work that I'm actually trying to do on the daily, one day at a time, mm-hmm. here, with the work that you and I are doing, um, is, you know, is a thief that steals. Yeah the things that are ours to have, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, cause one of the most astounding things that you and I discover all the time these days, it's like, just do your thing in the way that makes you happy and don't change your game. Yeah. You know, and it's like, just do it your way and don't worry about it and don't be attached to what the outcome is. Just do the things that, that you love to do, you know, but to the, the, to the joy and service of yourself and everyone. Yeah. And but, it's like, wow, that sort of does cool things when you do it that way, doesn't mm-hmm. it? But the doing, the doing is so important to that. Um, yeah, you actually have to do it. You have to actually do it. You have to like, and sometimes I, I really, I see this in other people um, that will talk about competition, that will talk about rivalry. Um, and a lot of it, like, if you really drill down and ask, well, what are you doing? People don't always have an answer to that. And right. and the only example that I'm comfortable sharing related to that is my own sense of rivalry. So 
um, in the time that I've been at this college, there was a person um, that used to work here who I used to refer to as my nemesis. Mm. Now, the funny thing about this is my nemesis mm. and I have met many, many, many times over because he never remembered who I was. Ah. Right? Right. And I used to be so frustrated about him. And, um, and you know this probably better than most, right? I would complain about this person. But the difference between me and him during the times that I saw him as my nemesis is he was doing shit. Yeah. Right? Um, and I found that so obnoxious. Um, but that's the thing about jealousy, right? Jealousy points to what you want. Um, and I have no idea what that person is doing now. I know they're not at the college, right. but even if they yeah. still were, right. what that person does now is completely irrelevant to me because I no longer have that longing in me to be doing the work that's my work to do. Right. So what's interesting about rivalry is I think I can turn down the volume on rivalry if I stop looking at other people and just get focused on what's my work to do and how am I showing up to do it. Right, right. Um, and it's like what – and I mean there's all kind of – there's sort of all these sayings kind of that go around rivalry and competition. It's like you, don't want to compete, you only want to compete against yourself and who you were yesterday and, and all this other kind of stuff. So it's like – I do wake up in the morning. I do feel a sense of competition with things. And I really do feel like there's rivalistic relationships and that I really am trying to do something really well so I can, I can sort of win. But it's not like another person. Mm, it, mm -hmm. it, and, but it's not like me yesterday because I think I did a pretty good job yesterday showing up as well. Yeah. You know, So it's like what is this I'm actually kind of what, – what is the basis of this drive to do this thing? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, it, it's like maybe it's not competition. Maybe it's not rivalry, but since that's such a Western expectation, maybe that's what I think it is. Yeah. You know, um, but it's like what I'm really fighting for is the the time and space to be able to the work, to be able to do the work that I love to do, mm -hmm. you know, to the betterment of me, myself, the college, the or earth, the universe, right. kind of whatever you know, but I don't feel like I'm competing against anything except for um, the inclination to get distracted mm -hmm. from that. And what's going to distract me from that is finding myself back into the competitive, I'm competing with my colleagues sort of sort of game. Yeah. And it's like, that's the shield. It's like, you know, I'm not going to engage in competition with my colleagues under any circumstances ever. Right. You know, ever. No. And it's like, Sometimes, you know, we get this thing and it's like, I don't, know, I don't know why they got that. I sure would have liked to have got it. I'm just like, no, I'm just going to shut that shit down. No. It's like, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to play that. Yeah. You know? So it's like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just not going to spend my time on it. Because right. that's not the relationship that I choose to have. And one of the amazing things is that what you find out is that you really can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you really do have that agency on where your attention goes. Which is why this is like mindfulness at work. I mean, yeah. what does it mean to be mindful at work? Where is your attention? Right. Where do you place it? Is it on what other people have and what other people are doing? Or is it on what you can do and what's in front of you? Right. So it's like I found that all the reconciliation problems that I might be having or discomfort at work are solved by just paying attention to what I have and what's in front of me. Being thankful for what I have and putting my attention to what's in front of me is like, what, what can I do in this space? Right. And like the rest of it, it's like uh, the rest of it sorts itself out. 
Yeah. And whether or not I like this thing or don't like this thing that this other person is doing or, or got has no bearing on whether or not they got it and what's in front of me and mm-hmm. what I'm bringing into the workplace. So it's like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pay attention to that. I'm gonna park it. Yeah. What's in front of me and what can I do in this space? Right. Yeah. That's what mindfulness is, I think. I think so too. Um, yeah, and I think part of it is like for me is the realization that like, you know, I can observe how competition has has served me in the past. And knowing that, I can choose something else. Because um, yeah. you're right. Like, I mean, now to be clear, if I'm playing a board game, I'm still perfectly happy being very competitive. Oh, absolutely. Right? Against the people I love the most, wouldn't. right? Wouldn't. But, yeah, no. Um, I want to be in community um, with people. Like, that's more important than being in competition. Right. Right. And it goes back to this, you know, this idea again of like, if I'm in competition, I'm trying to be impressive. And if I'm trying to be impressive, I can't connect. Um, And I don't understand how you live a life without connection being the most important driving factor in your life. Right. Like, what do you do if you're not trying to connect with people? Going solo. Trying to go it alone. Heavy is the head that carries the crown. the crown. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Um, I mean, there's a difference between monopoly on Friday night and your workplace. I mean, both can be competitive. Sure. There's this notion of this friendly competition, although monopoly games can become very unfriendly mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. certain environments, depending yeah, it's on a terrible game. But know, anyway, depend, depending on <laughs> depending on who gets who lands on you know boardwalk or whatever um board flipping and yelling and screaming and yes. storming out and all that kind of fun stuff that we use but it's like that's the expectation for monopoly so and uh so, so it's fine but competing competing for resources at your workplace is not f- healthy competition no you know that that is com- you know competing for resources in a space where you're trying to do your best at something that right. actually does have consequences yeah um, in terms of things that are really important, which we'll get into um, next next time yeah. on chapter two, which is like, how do you reconcile the ability to take ownership of your place in the workplace with sustainability and getting a paycheck? Right. So it's like I'm trying to support my very existence. Yeah. And my positionality in this life and pay a mortgage or a rent and buy food and maybe support a kid or for, or, or for whatever it might be. It's <laughs> a lot of kids. Kid for, I don't know. It went from one to a lot. Yeah. Anyway. Um, that's different than, you know, how many houses you have on, on, on Ventnor Avenue, you know? And, and so when you're talking about the monopoly version of it, it's like, yeah, that's fine. And we can get hot about that. And of course we're going to play to win. We're going to crush our enemies and, you know, see them driven before us and hear the lamentations of the women, a la Conan <laughs> the Barbarian. You know, I'm fine with that. Totally. Monopoly me up. You know, Monday morning at 9 a.m., though, when I'm checking into work, it's like, I'm going to, no way. Yeah. No way. That's not the relationship I want to have with my actual life. Right. But it's interesting because I think Monopoly is a good metaphor here because if you think about it, like at the beginning of this section of the chapter, discontentment at work, like you, I mean, you framed it like, she, you know, she says you have to learn that competition, rivalry, expectations, and rules do not generate happiness. Those four things, competition, rivalry, expectations, and rules, what is monopoly? Yeah, if it's not literally that. The, you know, the nexus between those four things. Literally that. Um, and I think, I think to a large extent, we live life as though we are in 
that game, right? Um, and all of these, like, games like Monopoly, the game of life, um, all of these games are, like, these very American-style board games where the goal is to crush your enemies, right? right? There's also another whole world of gaming that's, like, Eurocentric games um, where, you know, you're minding your own business just doing your own thing, and then in the end you do a little comparison. But I enjoy those games so much more um, because they're about managing yourself, not... Yeah. You know, like you're working right. in connection with others. Well, a lot of those board games were like born out of either, you know, uh, post-World War One or post-World War Two, right? It's like either the 20s or the 40s yeah. and 50s, right? When we're either, you know, post-war boom. Yeah. You know, after the First World War, you know, markets running wild uh, or it's like fighting communism <laughs> through capitalism, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, they were not just games for fun. They were teaching us on what it means to be an American. I believe the know. word you mean is propaganda. Yeah. yeah. Capitalist yeah. propaganda. Yeah. yeah. But so, you know, a lot of this comes down to, you know, and she gets to this, um, a process of unlearning, right? So I right. think the beginning right. of sort of mindfulness at work to me, uh, and I think her book ex- echoes this, is developing the sense of awareness and then once you are aware of, of your beliefs and where your beliefs come from, then beginning the process of unlearning. Because I think unlearning competition, unlearning right. um, how to live for the expectations it feels of others. Like. It, because it, like it, it feels risky to not be competitive. Yes. You know, it, it's like, what do you mean I'm not going to compete for, re-? you know, it's like it, that goes against everything I've been taught literally since I was on the schoolyard. Yeah. Well, and like we've had this experience where we were doing a workshop for students and we were teaching them um, about the importance of trying to connect instead of impress. And one of those students said, yeah, but what about a job interview? Like, don't you need to be impressive? And to me, my response to that is, what if you tried connecting instead? But like in that person's mind, she's not thinking that her job is to connect to the person that she's interviewing. She's thinking her job is to be better than the other applicants. Right. And and that's such a weird way of being in the world where we think of we don't have time to connect with others cuz we're busy being the best. That's horrifying. It is horrifying. Yeah. Why is it horrifying though? Like I know it is, but I can't how would you articulate it, what's horrifying? You, you miss about it. it. Yeah. You miss it. What's the you, you miss the miss you miss the daily life that you have. Yeah. Cuz you're you're always working towards something you're you're striving for things to be different than the way that they are. Yeah. And you're you're hanging out you're always hanging out in your own backyard looking over the fence at the neighbor. You never actually see the the yard that you're in. Right. And you miss it. Yeah. And all the while you're doing that, the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. You ain't getting any younger. Right. Year goes in, year starts. Here we are at the end of another one. Before you know it, you know, you're looking back on your life. Yeah. Realizing you missed it. Because you, you weren't actually in it. Yeah. You know, you're always trying to do something else. Right. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> right. You know, no exactly. thanks. And it's like, yeah. it's horrifying. It's It's like... You know, you go to the restaurant and you, you get you get whatever, and you spend all your time, you know, mindlessly munching, weighing it, you know, not not 
being mindful of what you're eating because you spend the whole time looking to see what the pe- people at the table next to you got. Right. Or complaining that you didn't order what your yeah, partner or ordered. Portrait, you know, yeah. so it's, it's like you're literally missing the thing that's in front of you. Yeah. As, and what a lot of people don't recognize is that it's glorious what's in front of you because, you know, in, in my experience, like I'm, I met a lot of people who in, fall into this in one way or another. You know, they feel like for whatever reason that might be that if it is actually theirs in front of them, that it must not be very good, Mm. you know, because it's theirs. And it's like, well, but I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't get this, you know, some inadequacy or some, you know, whatever those feelings might be that, you know, um, everybody, everybody else who has something has awesome stuff because they worked hard and earned it. But you have what you have because it's what, uh, that's what you settle for and that's what losers get and, you didn't you didn't or, work you didn't work for it but you have it so it might not be worth anything or the thing that i used to do all the time is i used to say i was lucky right like so everybody else earned it but you're lucky yeah, yeah i just right. got lucky um and i used to um go back to virginia tech and give presentations to their grad students and i used to say oh yeah and i work at this community college because i was lucky enough to be hired and my mentor like every time i would do it like i could hear him like ugh, you know like because he's like no you're not lucky shut that shit down like, yeah. you you did the work you showed up well you were authentically yourself and you earned a position at the table um, you know, and it's interesting because the year I was hired, there were four of us hired and I was the fourth choice. Mm. I just snuck in. Right. And so that's why I've always said I was lucky. Um, but at the same time, like I had the skills and I had, you know, the dedication to earn a spot that was available. Yeah. Like that's all there is to it. Yep. So, um, so I don't know. I think this chapter is really interesting for giving us a starting point for deconstructing uh, the things that we might believe about the workplace yeah. uh, that might not be serving us. Right, right. And it's like, we don't have to start this whole work by just like saying, okay, we're going to change everything about this place. And it's like, you can do that by doing a couple of little things maybe, like inside the skin. Mm-hmm. You know, let's start with, uh, what are we really trying to do here? Yeah. You know, and next week is, you know, let's take inventory. Right. How do you actually start this work? Yeah. You know, and once we do, it's like, are we trying to change ourselves and, and reconcile? Are we going to try and change the system that we're in? Or do we need to find another job, right? Whatever it is. What is the possibility of finding happiness? And, yeah. And it's not just contentment. No, it's happiness. Right. In, in the workplace. How do you start the work? Yeah. You know, and of course, it starts where all mindfulness does. Pay attention. Yep. Notice. Get a piece of paper out and a pen. Start writing some stuff down. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. And I, I mean, I love that this chapter is just wake up and smell the coffee. It's not drink the coffee. It's not pour a cup. It's not how to make a better cup. Right? Nope. Um, it's not how to wish you had tea instead. Um, it really is like take taking time to like, you know, wake up, which means bring some awareness. Yeah. Open your eyes. Um, and be brave enough to really take in fully sense what's happening around you right it's a good way to start yeah and you know there's value in just the acknowledgement am i happy in my job it's a good question are you i am me too great awesome fantastic we worked hard to get there we did we did not get lucky took me 50 years yeah it took me a few less well you'll catch up i will awesome great don't rush it okay Nice one. Good to record podcasts again. It is. (laughs) Turns out we can still do this. Yay. Yes.
We still got it in us. Awesome. We do. Let's uh, do it again. Yeah. So next week, chapter two in the book, um, mm-hmm. we'll make a little bit of an announcement about some other little cool thing that we decided to do. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, there might be another another platform coming out pretty soon. Yeah. With some so other stuff on it. I don't know how much we want to say right now. Yeah, press the pause button on that. We'll yeah, say cool. more soon. Yeah, hint, hint, <laughs> wink, wink. Spoiler, spoilers. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, so we'll talk more about that, and you'll hear more about it soon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been another lovely episode. What is this, 110? 110, and next week is Freedom and Sustainability. Love it. Cool. cool. Take care, everybody. Great. Thanks, Thanks Jerry. Bye. Bye. Bye.